I'm Sergio Dest, and you're listening to BR Football Ranch. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the sharpest football podcast on the planet, live and direct from the beating heart of London to the four corners of the earth. And wherever you are listening, I want to welcome you home, Rank Squad. Mikasa, Sugasa. My name is Jack Collins. Make yourself at home. The season rolls on, and this weekend is exceptionally special because there are showpiece, showstopper games in all of Europe's top five leagues. And of course, MLS Cup final to top it all off. So let's give you a quick overview before we get into the depths of some of Europe's biggest clashes. In Germany, we have the Klassiker Bayern versus Dortmund, red versus yellow, champions versus challengers. And with all the extra drama of a manager sacking in the mix. In Italy, the current titans against the former kings as Maurizio Sarri's Juventus seek to assert their dominance, maintain their unbeaten start and pile the misery on fallen giants, the Rossoneri shirts of AC Milan. In France, the derby of Olympians as Marseille take on Lyon. Eyes on this one for the pre-game TIFO. Marseille have announced that they're going to be doing a largest display in their history. TIFO covering all four sides of the stadium as former manager Rudy Garcia takes charge against his old side at the Velodrome for the first time. In Spain, the hottest derby in La Liga, El Gran Derby. Sevilla versus Betis, the frying pan of Spain. In a city so hot, they call it hell. If you're looking for atmosphere this weekend, you'll find it in Heliopolis as the Via Marine will be white hot and covered in green. But we are going to start this podcast in England, in a game which can rightly now be described as the modern Premier League's answer to a Classico. It's undoubted two best teams going head-to-head, champions of England versus champions of Europe, at one of the most historic, storied grounds in the country. It's Liverpool versus Manchester City at Anfield. And to help us with dissecting this game, alongside a wider look at all things Liverpool, I'm delighted to welcome a podcast game legend to the studio, one of the powerhouses behind the mighty Anfield rap, Mr John Gibbons. Welcome to the show, mate. Excited? I am after that introduction. I, <laughs> I sound brilliant. It goes on like, for a while, doesn't it? I know. It? I was like, who have they got coming? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Wonderful to be here. Of course. Uh, alongside him sit the usual suspects, Melon Maestro and Transfer Insider, Dean Jones. And the only thing on earth more divisive than the idea of Liverpool winning the Premier League, Rank God, <laughs> Sam Tai. How are you, fellas? Good, mate. Very excited. You yeah. didn't mention uh, Birmingham v Fulham in there, though, in these fixtures. <laughs> the less said about Fulham, I think, the better, my friend. <laughs> right, John, we're going to start with a big one, not pulling any punches. You're six points clear at the top, getting those wins even when you haven't played well. Is this finally Liverpool's year in the Premier League? Yes or no? I'm going to go yes. yes. If that's what you're asking for, I'm going to go yes. Look, look, last season... You know, we obviously had a brilliant season, 97 points, unreal progress from the year before in terms of your league form. But I always sort of had the doubts, doubts in the back of my mind that City were a little bit better than us. You know, where did have the form, 100 points the year before. And, you know, we were just always that nagging suspicion that maybe City were, were a little bit of ahead of us this year. I think Liverpool looked the best team in the league. I think City are starting to finally look human and starting to finally, you know, drop points, you know, a little bit more frequently. And, and all's not quite right there. Look, I'm, I mean, look, they'll, they'll still have a really good season, I'm sure. But at the moment, Liverpool look the strongest team in the league at the moment. So long may that continue. And I'm hoping certainly to see it on Sunday. Well, I was going to say, like, how are you feeling before this game it's obviously a mixture of nerves anticipation excitement all the above but are you confident going in for the weekend 
I am confident, yeah. I think, look, our home form's so good at the moment. We haven't lost in, what, 40, 50 games now at home in the league. It's going over the season and a half now. And so we turn up at Anfield now expecting to win. That's what it is. You know, we've seen this team, as you say, win ugly. We've seen them win beautifully. You know, we've seen them win kind of every type of game, really. So Man City come in probably the biggest test, isn't it, that we'll, that we'll maybe face. But, you know, we, we, can't, we back our boys at the moment. We back our boys. Yeah, I'm glad you're optimistic because... Because I was worried that you were going to come in here a bit sceptical. And I was like, no, if ever there was a time that you were going to be confident, it has to be right now. I mean, can you tell us, like, how does it feel to be a Liverpool fan in the stands right now? Give people an idea of what the feeling is and how it compares to the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. It's just so positive and... If you think back to when Jürgen Klopp took over as manager and the club was a little bit down, we doubt 13-14, which is an amazing roller coaster, but ultimately didn't lead to a league title. And then, and then kind of Liverpool kind of fell back to being where they had been for the last few years before that, which is around fourth or fifth, fighting for that last Champions League places. And there was the worry amongst Liverpool fans that the hierarchy of football had shifted basically and we were in that second tier of clubs and we might have the odd season where we'd look like we might challenge but but generally speaking we'd always kind of default back to those you know to, to fighting for fourth place whereas Jan Klopp's come in he said from day one he wants to turn doubters into believers and, and that's what he's done and so us scousers are all walking a little bit taller at the moment we're all a little bit louder yeah. you know there's the new songs about these you know I was sick of singing songs about guys from the past you know what I mean And but now these are our heroes these are European champions and and yeah uh, it's, it's a wonderful wonderful time to support the club is there kind of a different feeling around the stands than there was, say, last year? You know, last year, the chase was on. It was all very exciting. Everything was kicking in Europe and all those things. Whereas this year, it's sort of like we've marched out of the traps. No one's anywhere near Liverpool. And it feels like the kind of way of expectation. Has that, has that kind of transferred into the stands a little bit? Is there more nerves than there maybe was at this point last year on a chase? I don't know. I think I think Liverpool's always an emotional crowd. And so when, you know, big Champions League games, you'll see us really come out and roar. But other times when it is a bit tense, the players have said that they can hear it, you know, misplaced passes and, <laughs> and everyone's gasping. And, and you know, it's, it's almost like it's the end of the world, really. Jürgen Klopp now spends a lot of the time, his time in games turning around to the main stand and telling everyone to calm down. <laughs> Because <laughs> you know I mean? he doesn't have to worry about too much about the players anymore. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's been coaching them for a long time. So he's almost coaching us through it. So don't worry, everyone. It's going to be okay. Um, so there are nerves, yeah, because it means so Naturally, much to us. Yeah. Look, it's 30 years since Liverpool have won a league title. That's almost kind of my whole life, really, when, when Liverpool haven't won it. And for all the success in Europe and for all the cups, which are obviously brilliant days out and, and great achievements, it's the league that we really want. And so nerves are going to be there the closer it is. But I'm just hoping that it doesn't transmit too much to the pitch because these guys have proved that they get it done. You know, it doesn't matter if it's 94th minute winners or whatever, they find a way. So, yeah, how's the, how's the heart rate? Uh, and, would you, <laughs> and, and would you prefer to just get it done early or are you actually quite relishing these 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 late last gas victories? No, there's been one too many now. I quite like it. Uh, Already? <laughs> <laughs> we, we just seem to specialise in them, don't we? In the late goals and stuff. And it's brilliant that the team's got that in them. But no, I'm much rather. If you can offer me now 3 0 up after 60 minutes on. Sunday and then we can just sing about <laughs> sing about being European champions for the rest of it to Rub City and I like that'll be wonderful. I've got a feeling and I've I've noticed this the last couple of weeks that Liverpool are even starting to win over neutrals at the moment. And I think that mm. most year every year pretty much people don't want Liverpool to do well as neutrals. Um last year definitely being a pub, everyone was cheering for Man City. Nobody wanted to Liverpool to finally win the league, from what I experienced. I think the tide is turning a bit and finally people are like 
Liverpool deserve this. Like, I think if Liverpool do win the league this season, there's actually going to be quite a swell of support and people being, look, there's no team that deserves a Premier League title any more than this team do. Yeah. And I think I think people want the league to be competitive as well. And you look Absolutely. at you look at the situation in France at the moment in Italy, where it's the same team winning the league mm-hmm. every season. And and obviously we're not in that situation yet. You know, City is a two on the bounce, but they could conceivably do sort of five, six, and then and then I think that'd be a real shame now. So I think people I, know, I understand the thing last year about the unbearables and stuff like that, but <laughs> but hey, we won the Champions League and hardly talked about it at all, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I mean we were quiet. Yeah. So uh, all those number sixes you yeah. have. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that was absolutely something else. <laughs> it's just uh, Dejan Lovren supporters. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tribute to the M62. Yeah, so uh, so I think I think I think people, you know, with uh, maybe after the Champions League, think, oh, you know, that wasn't actually too bad, really. They're done winning it, and I think you know people do do want to avoid the idea that it's written in August who's going to win the league, and mm-hmm. so it is us at the moment who are carrying the uh, the the. Uh, the the torch at the moment for 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 the fight, if you like, against Man City. But you know, it might might be someone else next year. Who knows? Absolutely. I think we should get on to a yeah. couple of rankings. This is be our football ranks, and we have a couple of mini rankings for you, John, to kind of get through and work out. So we're going to start with Liverpool's MVPs. Uh, you know, the three most important players to Liverpool right now, and we'd like you to go three to yeah. one. Who this... gets you over the line this season? And could we, could we possibly start him off on a harder subject? Like, how do you pick three? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go for it. Um, for me, number three is Mo Salah. Uh, obviously, he was number one a couple of years ago. He's dropped a little bit, but he's still contributing so much. You look at his, in terms of his pure numbers, in terms of goals and assists, chances created, he's still absolutely right up there. So although his standards have slipped slightly, anyone says that the Moussala isn't playing well at the moment, needs to have a closer look at his numbers. He's still contributing hugely. We still really miss him when he's out. I'm still a little bit worried about his ankle. It's still not quite right after that Chelsea challenge, but I want to see him fit and firing. He's number three for me. He's been overtaken though, in an attacking sense, mm. by Sadio Mane. He's just an absolute man at the moment. For be, to be fair, for the whole 2019, he's been absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah. He seems on a one-man crusade for Liverpool to win the league at the moment. You know, last-minute goals, you know, as you saw against Aston Villa as well. He's just an unreal footballer. He's taken himself to a new level. His work rate is working for the team. As I say, assists and goals as well. But he's our top goal scorer this season so far. So he's got to be number two. But it's the main man, isn't it? Big Verge. Come on. Still number still number one. Hopefully going to be the Ballon d'Or winner. He's already UA for player of the year. Uh, breaking up that kind of, you know, Messi versus duopoly, Ronaldo yeah. duopoly. Yeah, now it's Big Verge. He's just unreal, you know. He's 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 big, he's great, he's handsome. According to Troy Deeney, he even smells good. Do you uh, know what I mean? We know that that's not this true. Is, we've yeah. got an issue with this. this oh, okay. We've brought it up a lot of times. A lot. Like, we've asked a yeah. lot of people. We Never met Fabrigi <laughs> in the summer. Yeah. We asked him, he said he hadn't noticed. I asked Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain about a month ago. He said, oh, I haven't noticed. <laughs> Don't say we're not investigative journalists. We're trying that to get it proven. proven. We're trying to we're get trying to the bottom of the biggest story. Tackling, tackling the big issues. We are, we are trying to speak to Verge to ask him. <laughs> like, come on, can you be honest yeah. with us? Yeah. Do you put aftershave yeah. on? I'm glad yeah. you brought it up, though. But yeah, it's now, been, it's now been on our podcast, I think, more than anything else we've ever discussed. <laughs> Does Virgil van Dijk smell nice? Well, listen, if you need a Liverpool correspondent on this, I'll be your guide. You, know you can just mean? keep asking Mate, people. Go and yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, pay back. big money to find out the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Lads, I'm on board. I'm in. Excellent. Um, well, I mean, I think it was natural that van Dijk was yeah. going to come top of that list. Given how how do you think his form compares to last season? with this season do you think do you think there's been a percentage drop slightly he's still the main man but yeah not especially I think I think you just you just got such high expectations of him now that any time you know he was he was 
someone dribbled past him in the Manchester United game and I was like, oh, well, you know, he, wow, he's lucky. He's, he's a human being and sometimes, you know, he will kind of make the odd mistake, but but nothing seems to just phase him at all. And any small mistake, he's just back there. He's just so strong and so calm and he's just completely altered how, how we defend. Also, I think this season he's kind of sh- struggled a little bit because he's um, he's not had that dependable partner. So so Joel Matip's been kind of in and out the side. Joe Gomez has been a little bit disappointing this year, it has to be said. And so we've been bringing Dejan Lovren in. And so I think maybe there's a little bit there where he hasn't had the kind of dependable partner next but, to him. So to an extent, though, it seems like it's a standard thing, an expectation thing, which is probably what Mohamed Salah fell foul of in his second season, right? Because of what he did in the first season. He was still great. He just yeah. was like slightly not as good as he was before, which was unbelievable, right? <laughs> Yeah, still finished joint top goal scorer in the Premier League. Oh, and imagine so, that. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but you know, the 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 40 goals, you know, the, the season before, you know, if you look at someone like Ian Rush, who was our greatest ever goal scorer, he only did those, you know, that number once or twice, mm. you know, in, in his career for, for a season. Normally, it kind of reverts the type, which is just the 20s, you know what I mean? And so it is still, it's still unbelievable. He's still great, but, and he's still... He's still such an asset for this football team because he's always looking to make things happen. Let's take things on, you know, and in light of this game, I said at the start that this feels now like the English Classico. You know, it is very much the two best teams in the country going head to head. Where does it kind of rank for you in terms of games you want to win most? So, you know, we could say clubs you hate most, but I feel like it takes it into a different dimension. But of all the games you want to win, where does City rank now? Or or is there a 3-2-1 now of, of the teams that that you want to beat the most every season? I think it's it's hard because obviously I live in the city, so I live and work with, with Evertonians. And so the, that's the one with bragging rights in terms of, you know, your friend, your uncle or whatever. Um, my wife's family are blues. And so, you know, it is, oh. it does come up kind of every now and again. So, so it's, it's, it's hard not to look past that one as the one you want to win so much, especially Goodison Park. There's no greater feeling than when you're in that away end at Goodison Park and you're seeing all their fans trailing out because they, you know, they've, they've lost again. Our record against Everton recently is absolutely unbelievable. Unreal, yeah. You know, they haven't, they haven't beaten us at Anfield since the nineties, even at Goodison Park. It's, I think, close to 10 years now since they've last beat us there. So, you know, it's, it's a fantastic record there and there's no better place to win. Let me tell you. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> the Goodison Park and being in that away end and watching you know the the stands kind of empty is absolutely fantastic. So I, <laughs> I would still put that for me at number one. Yeah, yeah. I'd still put that me at number one. So I'm doing reverse. Number one, number two. I think Manchester City probably has overtaken Man United now in terms of the one you want to win, yeah. Be- just because it matters so much. You look at Sunday. If we can beat Manchester City at home, that's nine points, which is unreal and. You know, we think, keep thinking back to last year and look, it's crazy to think about, well, how could we have done better because it's 97 points. But what really cost us was the fact that we couldn't beat Manchester City. So we drew the home game, which was early in the season and, and was a little bit of a cagey one. And then obviously we lose the game there. It's a tight game. We lose 2-1. I think there was a there was a ball that was what, half an inch, was yeah, it, from it was going over. Close. And and so real tight game. And so and so the fact that we weren't able to beat Manchester City was, was the thing that... that, that counted against us our record against everyone below Man City was actually better than theirs and so I think that has to be second now in terms of the game you most want to win just because if we can beat them this season we'll probably be champions 
Yeah, and it leaves United the old enemy. Leaves Manchester United the old enemy third, but listen, they're not going anywhere. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? They're they're going to be classics in the top three. You know, like Bing Crosby at Christmas. They're, you know, you get your you get your your, your, your new your, your Mike Carey's come and go, but your your Bing's always there. <laughs> That's a lovely reference. That is here as well. I don't know where it came from. To be honest, big big fan Great of that. Stuff. Um, right, there's two more quick rankings, okay. and they're the exact opposite of each other. So I'm going to start you off with three reasons you're going to win this weekend um, and they can be anything from City weaknesses to Liverpool strengths here okay. uh, and then I'm going to flip it and give you three reasons you'll lose so we'll start with the winning because state start positive okay uh, I've got to start with the crowd so Anfield amazing atmosphere everyone's going to be so up for it I'm sure wherever you're watching whether it's in the ground if you're lucky enough to get a ticket or on the telly you will hear that Anfield atmosphere on Sunday it's going to be electric I can't wait to be in amongst it you know back in my team getting on their backs it's going to be you know everything that supporting the team should be really so I can't wait to get into that ground on Sunday I'm sure there's 40,000 other Liverpool fans who feel exactly the same 45 now isn't it it's bigger yeah. um, and, so, and so I think it's going to be you know I think it's going to be lively. I think it's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be everything a Premier League game should be. So I think the, the crowd is number one for me. The second one, just this winning mentality the team have got. So whatever happens, you know, in the game, Liverpool will believe they can get this done. So, you know, the last two games, we've gone 1-0 down, but it doesn't phase them. They, they believe, they carry on. They carry on to, I was going to say the 90th minute, but it's, it's 94th, 95th <laughs> at the moment for this Liverpool team. So they'll believe that they could get it done. And third one, I'm just not that sure about Manchester City at the moment. They seem worried. You know, you've got Pep Guardiola, you know, talking about all this impressed impress kind of conferences already, you know, talking about Liverpool when, you know, when he's playing against someone else. I think they're a little bit worried about this Liverpool team. I think they, they you know, feel, you know, not inferior because, you know, they're such a good team. But I think Liverpool have surprised them how much they've kicked on a game this season. I think they were hoping last year was a bit of a flash in the pan, but Liverpool have kicked on. And I think City, we've got them on the ropes. Oh, I okay, love well, it. I love of, it. Of, of all that optimism, I'm going to ask you to completely flip it. Three reasons. <laughs> that you could lose it or you will lose it um, number one Raheem Sterling uh, he's an unbelievable player he's in amazing form this season and one year he's going to have a good game at Anfield it <laughs> hasn't happened yet obviously the crowd get on his back there because of the way he left us and he, he just seems to kind of freeze a little yeah, bit at Anfield he doesn't play well there at all he does has it? not played well there at all but, but it he, will come it's gonna, it'll yeah, come. He's, he's too good a player and he's going to you know it's going to get to the point where he's used to a little bit more used to it What he's and he's, you know, his confidence will grow you know he's played well everywhere now he's played in intimidating circumstances and so one year he will play well at Anfield I'm just hoping it's not this one but, but Raheem Sterling is one who worries me um, kind of no, number two I think the way City play and the, and the way City you know, can, can dominate a game, might be able to frustrate the crowd. So I had the, the crowd as an advantage, but, you know, because it can, because, and I think it's going to be, you know, so excited and, and so passionate. But if City starts seeing a lot of the ball, if Liverpool are chasing after it, City are great with possession, aren't they? You know, you've seen some of the numbers they've racked up, you know, last couple of seasons, you know, things we've never seen before in the Premier League in terms of, you know, passing stats, possession stats. And so, you know, if Liverpool start feeling like they haven't seen the ball for a while, the crowd might start to get a little bit edgy. And City will try and do that as well. Yeah, of course. The 0-0 yeah. last year at Anfield, City yeah. slowed that game right down yeah. to the point where it felt like Liverpool always try and they, they try and call on that strength and that tenacity in midfield to try and bully Man City. And they're one of the very few teams who have the quality to actually throw them off their technical game. But if they slow it down so much that they can't get anywhere near it, it kind of sucks the venom out of the approach, doesn't it? Yeah, so no, that, definitely. That, 
Yeah, no, definitely. That is that is a tactic. I'm sure they'll try and uh, they'll try and use on, on on Sunday. And you look, I'm sure they're just trying to quiet in the crowd, but also to to to. to get on top of the game and also to kind of demonstrate that they're still Man City, they're still the champions yeah. and they're not going to let Liverpool have it their own way. And the third one for me, I'm still I'm still hoping that Joel Matip might make it because he's been such a big player for Liverpool. Joe Gomez out of form. So if Matip isn't fit, it will probably be Lovren. And Lovren, he's been a good player for Liverpool, but he's always got that mistake as in him, has it? He's always got that bit of overconfidence where he, you know, where he finds himself kind of out of position or, or making a little bit of a mistake. So, so with Dejan Lovren on the pitch, Liverpool fans are always looking a little bit between their eyes and a little, a little bit kind of concerned. And look, Sergio Aguero has got an amazing record against Liverpool. He's like the opposite of Raheem Sterling. He always scores against us. Yeah. So, so that you're playing uh, Genk this evening as we record. Yeah. So by the time people listen to this, that would have been done. Um, you're, are we expecting to see maybe Joe Gomez for Genk and then Lovren for the weekend? Is that how you think it will probably end up shaking Unless out? Unless he has a, an absolute world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I think Yen Club still got a lot of faith in Joe Gomez, and I think he's going to be a, a great player, and a great great central defender. But just isn't really happening at the moment. So Lovren seems to be the one who's going to get the nod if, if Matip kind of isn't there. That's what I would expect to see. Yeah. Um, is Sadio Mane a cheat, by the way? <laughs> um, I'm asking this on behalf of Man City fans to see what, the, what your reaction is to everything that's been said recently. No, I, I don't think he is. No, I think he's... I, I feel sorry for forwards because I feel like we've we've got to a situation where you have to exaggerate any contact if you're going to get it. So there's times where Sadio Mane has been kicked, he's stayed on his feet, he's stumbled, he's got a shot away and he doesn't get given anything. So I think we've created a situation, especially with VAR. You know, you saw the penalty, the ridiculous penalty that Everton conceded. He gets that because of his reaction. And so everyone goes, oh, hang on, we need to have a look at that. Find out that, the, the, you know, the, he's, st- he's still on the biting player's foot. And he gets he gets the penalty. So the next week, Sadio Mane he does get his foot stood on. I mean, look, his reactions, you know, farcical, isn't yeah. it? And he, and he doesn't get it. But but he's but they're watching that. They're watching that the week before, saying, "Oh well, that's how he get penalties because I'm not getting anyone to stay on my feet." <laughs> and so so I think we've created the situation for us there. But Sadio Mane is an honest boy, uh, <laughs> and they do, Man City do not have anything to worry about in that regard this weekend. Excellent. <laughs> he's actually one of the quietest blokes. I've ever yeah, been there. exactly. Yeah. He always comes across as a really nice geezer. Yeah. John, yeah. can I get a prediction of you? I think Liverpool will win. Um, I think maybe 2-1. I think Liverpool go 2-0 up and then Man City get one and make us all a bit nervy. So no 96-minute heroics. Hopefully <laughs> not. Hopefully not. A nice little 2-1 or maybe even a 3-1. Who knows? But I think Liverpool will win. I'm sure that would uh, take, take the sting out of it. A 3-1, <laughs> one more question for you. Have you seen our episode of the Champions? I have. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. A um, couple of complaints though. Yep. Um, go on. Rank them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, number one... <laughs> We were joking. Number one, <laughs> Carius dropping the thing. Uh, apparently, it's still too soon for me. <laughs> oh, did it get the blood boiling? Then? Yeah, yeah. I thought I was over that after we won it, but you know, Carius. You know, I'm still not. I'm still not ready for jokes about Carius dropping things. Uh, so, if you don't mind. And secondly, the JB Webster thing was brilliant. I love the fact you had him in shorts as well. But boys, I'm sure that's a Cockney actor doing the voice. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is. Liverpoolian uh, talent getting overlooked ever again. If you ever need a Jamie Webster impersonator, I'm here well, for you. Well, do you know what? I would like to quite ask what you thought of the Jamie Carragher impression. <laughs> yeah. because, because the man next because to you was Jamie you. Carragher. That was all right. It was me, yeah. The Carragher wasn't bad. That's yeah, it. yeah, um, but, but Webster, well, we were they, having... they didn't have me on that one. They should have given me a call. Carragher <laughs> was all right. Yeah, well done. Jack, can we get a bit of uh, Carragher? No, no, no. I, uh, <laughs> I don't do it on camera. He just did behind legitimately do that, though. Yeah, well done, Jack. I was very impressed by that one. I appreciate it. No, Carragher went down well in Liverpool. The Webster one, so. How did it go down generally with Liverpool fans? Like, obviously, it's very 
It's tongue-in-cheek yeah. slash quite critical. <laughs> no, it was fine. I think, I think people thought it was funny. You know, yeah. it was it was funny to see, as you say, seeing Jamie Webster in there because, you know, funny how far he's come, isn't it, from a lad who was just sort of playing guitar in pubs to now, you know, being, being used on videos by you guys is funny. And, and look, you know, it's... we. We can't laugh at ourselves in Liverpool. It's a myth that we can't do, you know what I mean? And all the unbearable stuff, and this means more, and the fact that we, you know, oh, you guys like football, but we just love it, you know what I mean? Like, we are ripe for ridicule in that regard. So, yeah, we, we can have a laugh at ourselves. Well, I think about a that. lot of the unbearable stuff was perpetuated by Liverpool fans. Yeah. It was like, let's be the unbearable. Oh, we claimed so it. Yeah, whole... we claimed it for exactly. ourselves. So I think yeah. that was always something that stood out to me. I was like, it has to be. Yeah. If you're going to call that, you've got to be there. Yeah. You've got to take it the other yeah, way yeah. as well. So no, yeah, a lot of people said it went down well. Yeah, yeah. Jamie no, people... seemed to like it. Yeah, so no, was Jamie, Jamie was laughing his head off. Yeah. I don't think he was quite sure about the gap in his teeth. Like, you know what I mean? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, it can't be <laughs> but apart from that, no, no, he was, he was, uh, he was happy enough. There's no mercy in the Champions League. John, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Do you want to tell the Rag Squad how they can see more of what you do? Yeah, so the Anfield Rap, we do podcasts, uh, we do stuff for free, we've got a subscription service as well, we've got a YouTube channel, so we do videos every day on YouTube, obviously the website as well, if you still like a bit of written stuff, that's there, so, and of course, across all the social media channels as well, we think we're the best people are sharing the journey of supporting Liverpool, so if you are a Liverpool fan or you're just more interested in what's going on at Anfield at the moment, so we feel like we're the best people to tell you all about it. Absolutely, a mighty, a mighty institution, the Rap, uh, around the world, that's so. It's been an absolute pleasure having you, John. We'll be back after the break to visit Germany, Italy and Spain on today's European tour. So make sure you're locked in. Welcome back, Rank Squad. We have talked about the big game in England, but there's plenty to watch this weekend across the continent that we also want to talk to you about. So to start off, we're going to Germany to talk about the Klassiker, Bayern versus Borussia Dortmund. And to help us out, we've enlisted the help of Bundesliga expert Manuel Veth. This is what he told us. It's going to be one of the most interesting classicas in, in recent time, simply because both clubs have had some rough patches to start the season. Dortmund entering the game in second place and Bayern in fourth place. Now, in theory, you know, it's only it's only 10 games in. Both teams are still within uh, distance of, of the first place, Borussia Mönchengladbach. But Bayern Munich, of course, defeated 5-1 by Eintracht Frankfurt on Saturday. It was a disaster of a result. And it was a result that cost Nico Kovac his job. One week before the Klassiker, Bayern initially wanted to take the risk and go into the Champions League game. And of course, take Klassiker with Nico Kovac, but then decided, especially taking that risk with the Klassiker and as big of a game as it is this season, both Nico Kovac and Bayern. The official wording is mutual termination. Now Hansi Flick has come in, the assistant coach, to take over while Bayern are looking for a new coach. Hansi Flick, of course, was the assistant to Joachim Löw at the 2014 World Cup. Many, many people in Germany saying he was the mastermind behind Germany winning the World Cup in Brazil. Came up with a lot of the tactical solution. The coach has basically told Joachim Löw we have to set focus more on set pieces. Remember Mats Hummel scoring that header against France. Germany struggled into the going into the World Cup with set pieces. He fixed that. He is a good coach. He's a sound coach. He's a good tactician. Now over in Dortmund, Lucy Favre has a bit more playing room after the 3-0 victory against Wolfsburg. For him, still a very important game because they can separate themselves by another three points to Bayern. But also, most importantly, keep up with Borussia Mönchengladbach at the top that have been surprising in this league. You know, this is this is the big classica, but it's not a classica where, you know, for usually first against second. It's not necessarily a championship decider either, but it is a very crucial match for both teams on Saturday at the Allianz Arena. 
Thank you so much to Manuel for that very enlightening. Sam, you've spent this last weekend in Germany looking at Bundesliga games. Firstly, how was it? Did you have a good time? And secondly, what do you make of this weekend's matchup? Yeah, I spent the weekend in Germany thanks to a trip from the Bundesliga. So they took me to Eintracht Frankfurt against Bayern Munich where I watched the death of Nico Kovac. And then I went the next day to Fortuna Dusseldorf against Cologne, which was it's a huge local derby and uh, it was the first time they played it in the Bundesliga for more than 20 years. So it was quite a special occasion. So that was pretty cool. How was the trip? Yeah, a bit tiring because you, you end up you end up doing the rounds. But I met a lot of cool people. I met Manuel, actually. I spent two days with him and uh, I ate a lot of meat and potatoes. Like the German diet is... It's pretty basic. Not vegan. It's pretty basic. And they basically just fry potatoes or give you dumplings and they just put like six different types of sausages out. I even tried something called blood sausage, which I think was actually just blood. Isn't that good. what they have in Game of Thrones? Blood I think, yeah, very, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, so I, I did a, a 60 euro meat platter split between myself and Alexis from the Soccer Cooligans. Great, great podcast. Great podcast. And we absolutely destroyed it. And we had a chicken schnitzel on the side. And the guy... The guy <laughs> you had a meat platter. Sorry. You had a meat platter and you ordered extra meat on We the got side. an extra chicken schnitzel. And the guy, that, the guy, the waiter that actually provided it, his eyes went so wide when we, did, we made our order. Uh, and then he actually delivered it. And it was like a hot entire bucket. It was absolutely insane. We both went, oh, shit. And the waiter went, oh, shit is right. <laughs> <laughs> but well, That's good. It sounds like a good time. But we dominated that platter. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, to the game. Bayern, Bayern collapsed against Frankfurt. It was very awkward, very strange to see. You know, you have these ideas about Bayern Munich. And the last time I went to Germany to watch Bayern Munich, they, they beat Eintracht Frankfurt 5-0. It was one of the most clinical and professional performances ever. I like how um, Niko Kovac's time at, at Bayern was just basically bookmarked by games, big games against them, big scorelines against Frankfurt. Obviously, <laughs> beat Bayern in his last game as Frankfurt manager. Yeah. Then... Beat first Frankfurt game. as his first game as Bayern manager, then whacked them 5-1 to win the title, and then lost 5-1 and, and got sacked. It was, it was amazing, incredible. Absolutely amazing. I, I, it, was, it was really strange to see a team collapse in the way they did. So Jerome Boateng got sent off after nine minutes. It was originally given as a penalty and a yellow card, went to VAR, free kick and red card. And everyone went, oh no. And I thought, that's good. Because if you go 1-0 up against Bayern and they've got 11, you're still going to lose. But 10... Nah, they battered them. And like, yeah, in the end, you end up with uh, Coutinho, <laughs> Coutinho and Thiago as a midfield two against a physical side like Frankfurt. Yeah. It was never going to work, but they really did collapse. Neuer was amazing despite conceding so many. It, could, it genuinely one of those where it could have been 10. Uh, Lewandowski was excellent, scored an absolutely incredible solo goal. But apart from that, the writing was very much on the wall. Press conference after the game, Kovac looked grey. He turned a completely different colour. He knew what was coming, I think. Yep. Then he had a massive go at the team and then he was dispensed with. I think that's, that's it. You couldn't really do much else after that. Dean, something I was going to ask you was, you know, Bayern struggled a bit in the market this summer. We saw failed bids for Leroy Sané, et cetera, et cetera. And they ended up signing Perisic very late on and then Coutinho even later. Are we seeing them struggle in response to those issues in the market, do you think? Well, it was a weird one. I actually said that Coutinho was a bargain because the kind of terms that they got him on you look at a player that two years ago was supposed to be one of the top five talents in the world and suddenly they're getting one alone so that it looked like actually a really good deal the problem with it is that like you can't get Coutinho instead of Sané that's that's the problem like you can get Coutinho and hope that he forges some great partnership with Lewandowski that takes off but you've still got the issue that you really needed someone like Sané and they never really got that like Perisic isn't 
doesn't do what Leroy Sané does. And obviously losing Robbery, Robin and Ribbery. Robbery. Yeah, Robbery. Um, right, right first time. Losing that is so, so big. Like, you can't really make that up. And clearly, if you don't get Sané, you don't. They're going to go back in for Sané. Like, I do think that he will eventually be a Bayern Munich player. Obviously, that's been set back again by the fact that he's injured. Um, but yeah, I think that their whole policy leading into the season really didn't help them or Kovac. On, Co- on Kovac, just uh, just to weigh in quickly, you know we talk about on this podcast, well, actually it's mostly just I talk about it, managers outfoxing themselves when they're under pressure and yeah. making like very strange decisions that you can't wrap your head around because they've, they, they've boxed in, they're, in their own brain they've kind of defeated themselves. Niko Kovac started this game with Alfonso Davies at left-back, David Alaba at centre-back, yeah. Jerome Boateng next to him at centre-back, and Pavard at right back with Kimmich in midfield. Now, look, on another day it might have worked. Had Boateng not done what he did, maybe it would have worked. But Alfonso Davies really struggled in this game because he is not a left back. He spoke to us about it. He says he he doesn't like it, finds it really hard and doesn't want to do it. So that's what they did. They had a left back, one of the world's best, Alaba, playing centre back just inside him. You know, and a centre back playing right back, and they had a right back playing, playing centre midfield. So again, class, it's a, class. It's one of those things where you look at it, you think you've outfoxed yourself, you've outthought yourselves, and it wasn't because of injuries, because he had his left back playing centre back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rearrange all those players, and you're actually you're actually onto something. In the end, Kimmich had to go right back because of Botang. Yeah, yeah, of course. But that fine, fine. But Alfonso Davies played the entire game at left back. Yeah, not not good. Uh, just before we move on, uh, you know, as Manuel said in that video, Dortmund haven't been without their issues either. No. It's not been all smooth sailing, but you've seen signs of progress, Sam. Yeah, so obviously tipped Dortmund to win the title this year and their sort of very stodgy performances early this season have had me a little bit worried about they are that. Second. And they are, yeah, but they've not they've not you feel like they might be at fifty percent. Yeah. And you're waiting for them to take that step. And Lucien Favre is a manager we're big fans of. But he has been too conservative this season. And Which is rare for him, to yeah, be fair. It's just really strange. Um, and, you know, Dortmund this, this, uh, this weekend beat Wolfsburg 3-0. They took the handbrake off, essentially. It's notable in midfield, they finally didn't play Delaney and Axel Witzel together, who were both very good players. Witzel I love. Both, both very defensive. And it plays into this conservative approach. So he went for Weigel and Dahoud. And it did take them the first goal to get going. But once that had happened, we're off. Yeah. And Dortmund at full speed... Is, is exactly what we imagined it to be in the summer when they signed Torgan Hazard and Julian Brandt and put this collection of players together. It was sensational. And we need to see more of that against a Bayern Munich who's so fragile, they have no choice but to go at them. Well, no choice. We're going to come on to predictions a little bit later in a, in a new segment at the end. But we're going to move quickly on to Italy. And in Serie A, the new meets the old in some ways as Juve face AC Milan. We asked Calcio expert Chloe Beresford to give us her thoughts on a clash of titans. Now, at the moment, Milan's uh, league position doesn't really reflect the size of the club as they're languishing in mid-table. Um, they've already sacked one manager, uh, Marco Giampaolo, after just seven games. Uh, things weren't really weren't working for him, um, and they pr- replaced him with Stefano Pioli, who is more of a, a reliable coach. Um, but still, he hasn't quite managed to turn things around. And indeed, Lazio won at San Siro on Sunday for the first time in 30 years. So lots of negative records being set for Milan. Uh, and meanwhile, Juventus remained the only side in Europe's top five leagues to remain unbeaten in all competitions. 
Um, so it really is the worst time for them to be facing such a dominant Juve. They're top of the table, uh, closely followed by Inter, who are, are pushing them all away under Antonio Conte. The only saving grace I can see for Pioli and Milan is that Sarri hasn't really quite got his style to click yet. Um, they had a disappointing 1-1 draw with Lecce in the league um, and that was followed by a very narrow win over Genoa that was the three points only rescued by a, a very late 96-minute Cristiano Ronaldo penalty. So there, there is some scope. Obviously, games like these, Seasides raise the game. So there is some scope for Pioli and his men to really give Juve a good game and I think that will be the case. But... You know, Juve are very strong, they know how to win, they've won the last eight titles in a row, even though they're going through this transitional period with Maurizio Sarri. So, prediction-wise, I think I would have to say maybe even a 3-1 win for Juve. I think it will be quite easy in the end for them. But expect it to be entertaining because these the games between these two sides they never fails to disappoint thank you to chloe make sure you subscribe to her italian football newsletter calcio by chloe for a brilliant weekly update on everything going on in italy dean i want to start with you here though juventus are as we record the only unbeaten team in the top five leagues in all competitions and yet we haven't really seen them hit their stride in many ways is this just a sign there's more to come or is it a worry for juventus fans um, I think I've already tipped Juventus quite heavily in previous <laughs> episodes that I'm going to say that, that it's a worry. I think that they're still adapting to a new manager and I think that he's still trying to find the bits that go into the pieces uh, the pieces that fit into the, the overall jigsaw. And I think that at Juventus, it's going to happen. Whereas at Chelsea, you've got the feeling it was never going to happen for him because the, the mentality around the club wasn't going to allow it to. Juventus are building as part of like a five-year plan here. They want to make sure that in five years' time, they're up there. They're, they're up there with Real Madrid on and off the field. They're up there with Barcelona, Man United, whoever those big, big elite clubs are in five years' time, they will be up there. So even beyond Ronaldo and stuff like that, they're already thinking beyond that. They're trying to plan what comes next. As part of that... They have to be successful right now. And I think that they'll win this game. <laughs> they'll beat AC Milan. But more importantly than that, they will go on and win Serie A. And I think more than anything, because of the mentality of the club right now, I think that when you watch them, it's not always beautiful. Quite often it, it is penalties and set pieces that they're relying on. Um, but it's enough. I don't think there's a, been a lot of Serie A games this season that I don't think have been particularly pretty to watch. But I do think it's become a really, really intriguing league to watch. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it possibly, when you're watching a, a Serie A game this season, it's less predictable than almost any league in the world. It's the first highlights package, you know, of all the, you know, when you have to see as many games as you can on the weekend. But brilliantly now on YouTube, obviously Serie A are there, La Liga are there, the Premier League are there, Liga, Bundesliga. Serie A is now the first one yeah. I go to on a Sunday night to be like, what have I missed from, you know, Sassuolo versus Sam, or, or, yeah. or these things, and it's the now the mo- I think the most intriguing. Sam, have you seen an upturn in Milan's form since Stefano Piolo took the job at the San Siro? Yes, you have, but <laughs> to a le- to on. a point, <laughs> yeah, it was so bad. The bar was very low. Um, it is getting better though. Um, it feels like he's adapting the system around the players rather than trying to sh- like try and force players into the system. So that's a good start, maybe. Um, he spent the first couple of games playing Lucas Bilio, which was a mistake, and he's figured that out. Benacer is in. Teo Hernandez is now rampaging forward on that left flank. Like we hoped he would. Exactly as we basically asked for it to happen. Teo Hernandez is, is, is steaming forward. He's playing really well. He is in form, and he is quite the sight. 
going forward. He's a little bit like the old Gareth Bale in a way, in, in, in just the way he strides forward. And you've got Chalhan Olu, who has found this different gear playing just inside of him and allowing him to, to dominate that flank. That first game that Pioli took charge of, Chalhan Olu was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, he was absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. So we are, we, things do look better. Things are improving. They aren't going to win this game. But Pioli was already... The fans already wanted him to leave the club before he'd even joined. Um, so he's done better than so he expected in so I'd, Yeah, I'd say he's, he's exceeded expectations. Okay. <laughs> we have done Germany and we have done Italy. And we next, we go to Spain. We'll be back after the break for a special Spanish-themed roulette and our first ever Picks League. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks and a very special edition of the Roulette Wheel. We asked for Spanish themed questions this week it looks different it does look different you're right it's uh, now got numbers on it i have 14 questions in front of me mm-hmm. each one of these things on the roulette will now represents a, qu- a number who wrote these numbers i did who wrote the numbers before and we had to wipe them off because they were absolutely tragic because yep. he has ch- handwriting like like his his child i imagine <laughs> probably old. probably worse so sam do you want to give us a spin and i will tell you what the questions are hey what is your favorite region of spain and why granada Born there, <laughs> raised there. <laughs> Granada's a region. Granada's a region. Isn't it like Andalusia? Fine, Andalusia. <laughs> Born there, raised there, will die there. Is it actually your favourite region? Um, I would say, right, so I have, have not been to all of them. I haven't been to the Basque region, which I feel like is, a sh- I feel that's a shame. Uh, it comes very highly raised. We're going to talk about the Basque region. Don't that's worry. your answer. Um, I think I would, pref- I, I've been to Andalusia like three or four times and I do, I do really like it. Um, I definitely preferred it to Catalonia. So that's what I've got to go on really. Um, the culture of ordering a one euro glass of wine and then being given food. <laughs> That's that's quite widely spread, mate. Yeah, but it wasn't. It, it was it's much cheaper in Andalusia than it is everywhere else. Yeah. You can get the glass of wine, but it will cost you four euros in Catalonia. It's much more expensive there. Down south, you barely even have to pay. Yeah, no, it's, it's almost free. It's sensational, yeah. Incredible. Absolutely. Dean, what about you? Uh, Canary mate? Islands. Oh, no. It's like when you're like <laughs> aged... Is this Lanzarote? When you're aged 17 to like 21, it's where you spend most of your time as like an English teenager. <laughs> did you go to Lanzarote? I went to Lanzarote, went to Tenerife, went to Gran Canaria, did the whole lot, mate. Yeah. Um, the absolute clean sweet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, generally, it's a place that nobody else should go. Like it's, it's just been taken over by British people and it's like just a really bad version of England. I feel really sorry for the Spanish people around that That's area. That's close to my worst nightmare. Uh, yeah, it, it's pretty bad, but at that age, yeah. it was great. It was amazing. I've got good yeah. memories of Canary Islands. Yeah. Okay, all right. I was going to go with the Basque Country. I do like the Basque Country can. a lot. Um, I spent a couple of days in Bilbao, went to San Sebastian, some lovely places, yeah. really good. And... And there's a stadium named after Vicente Lizarazu, so that's basically Amazing. You know, good on its own. They've got, a, they've got an interesting cocktail, haven't they? Yeah, so one of our actual questions that hasn't made it to the list but was on there was about calamochos, which are a, a Basque cocktail, if you will, and it's red wine, Coca-Cola, and ice. And I like sounds, all those three things. No, but not together. It no. sounds, it's a cocktail that sounds desperate. Yeah. I, and then I had one, and I was like, Wow. This is unbelievable. Should I have one tonight? They're so nice. But I can't explain why or how it works. It sounds dreadful, but, but it I'm... does. How much Coke do I put in red? It's about half and half. Half and half. It's, it's, it's <laughs> really it good. Like Jamie Vardy drinks before a game. <laughs> yeah, it does sound like that. You're absolutely right. It's really good. Like, really, really, really good. And I, I don't know what the red... There might be a special red wine you have to use that's a little bit thinner, maybe, that like isn't, isn't quite as like heavy. Yeah. But it's really delicious and really, really, like... 
refreshing, which is not something you naturally associate with everyone. I have a lot of time. So good shout to whoever put Calamachos on the list. Uh, I'm going to spin for you, Dean. If you were 13 years old and you had offers from Barcelona, Madrid and Atletico, where would you go and why? And this is from Leo Thumza on Twitter. Barcelona, because I'd be three years away from my debut. (laughs) (laughs) If I was that, you know, we've seen, you get your chance at Barcelona these days. You're Ansu Fati, there you go. Yeah, I think Barcelona, why not? Sam? Uh, um, Yeah, Barca too. Not just because of the the, the greedy early debut. Um, (laughs) I wouldn't wouldn't want to go to Real Madrid um, because of the, the, the star, the star culture there, I don't think I would ever get my breakthrough, and I wouldn't go anywhere near Diego Simeone's pre-season training. Uh, so Barca, it is. It's the lesser of three evils. Uh, as like a flair number ten, which is how I pride myself as a player. I don't think Diego Simeone would like me very much. So therefore, I would also have to avoid Atleti, although I think it would be a, a good place to go as a club culture. I can't name one barrel club member that's played for Atletico Madrid. Yeah, exactly. So I think I also would have to go to Barcelona. And although, you know, that said, a lot of Real Madrid, you know, people, Adrizola, obviously they've come through young, they've been bought, but they've, yeah. you know, they've come along and, and been given chances. So Madrid do give chances to young players these days. And, you know, we've seen them spend a lot of money on young players. So if they were going to spend, you know, 30 million on me as a 13-year-old, yeah. I'd be okay Why with not? that. You know, you'd, you know, the expectation would be there. And yeah. uh, they do like flair in Madrid. So they therefore, do. I do think I would fit in see there. See you in well. Barcelona, though, lads. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you all there. Right, one more spin. Right, this is from Joaquin Delmar on Twitter. He says, are Atleti's offensive struggles this season down to a lack of talent or form or a byproduct of a Simeone system? I'm going to throw it to you to start with, Sam. That's a really good question. It is a really good question. That is a really good question. Um, I think some of it is to do with Diego Costa looking a little bit ropey and it taking Morata a little bit of time to fill those boots. Uh, Jal Felix started really fast and then sloped off a little bit as he sort of started adapting to the new, a a better league. Um, But ultimately, you know, the handbrake is still on. It it just is. Um, You know, buying Renan Lodi and Kieran Trippier doesn't change that much for you. You know, it does... Diego Simeone's midfield will always function in a certain way. Diego Simeone's sides will always function in a certain way. And they're still really only capable right now of winning a game 1-0, um, yeah. more or less, um, with, 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 the, with the current mentality and the current application. And that, that is leading to 1-1 draws because they're also stepping away from what was once a vaunted defence and is no longer quite as good. It's all quite reasonable, really. I feel like they should be much more cutthroat. Even last week... When they took the lead, um, I can't remember exactly who their opponent Valencia. was. Valencia. Uh, no, it was the one before that. Thomas, okay. Thomas came on and completely changed the game. And Morata and Correa uh, produced a wonderful little one-two and, and Morata scored. And then, you know, they sat off again. Ten minutes later, they, they conceded to an absolute world-class strike from distance because they weren't applying the pressure. They, they, it's, it's a strange one because they don't play with that sort of attacking intensity once they've gone 1-0 up. I mean, I think you've answered the question really well there. Something I want to take it on. We had a lot of questions on Twitter about has... Simeone taking his side as far as he can, basically. Is there... And people are saying that... Such a dangerous question. I I completely agree with you. But people are saying, look, if he's going to continue playing this system, you're never going to get the best out of, uh, you know, a team that has such attacking talent now, has Mm. such a a wide range, you know, even from Saul and Koke, all the way through to Costa Mm. Morata, Jao Felix, Lamar... Thomas, even, we've seen, you know, popping up. Thomas is so good now. We've seen popping up and and making these things... I think, like... 
He's trying to evolve the team. I mean, the signing of Jao Felix shows the intent to change the way that the team are playing, but that's not going to happen like from last season to the early start of this season. Like, It's going to take time for Simeone to ever change his mindset. And I think he's always going to be safety first, hit teams on the counter, play to your strengths, and then that's going to take time to then become a more attacking outfit. I'm not sure he even wants to be an attacking outfit because I don't think he wants to play that style of football because he's so comfortable. In I the think way that's he... where the question comes Yeah, he's got success. So, But I he's think... got to two Champions League finals with this style. And it, and no, I'm not and saying it's and wrong, it, but with, the, with where Athletic, you know, Athletic got to those Champions League finals as vaunted underdogs mm. who basically scrapped their way through everything. Now, you know, they've just bought a 100, 100 million pound player. Mm-hmm. You but know, it's to keep you can't, up, isn't it? You've got to you do can't that. be underdogs. You've with... got to do that, otherwise you're falling. It's not even the case that you're going to overtake the teams above you. It's the case that if you want to maintain your place in the top four, you've got to keep spending that. But you and can't I think be underdogs with that stuff, with that kind of money being spent. No, you that's can't, true. That's with true. the talent in Atleti's side now, you can't be like, oh, Atleti are an underdogs in pretty much any game aside from Barcelona and Real Madrid. No, but you know, but I think they played like this four years ago, yeah. and they were still stronger than almost. They won the league like in two thousand fourteen, and they were still just asking the question. No, uh, I, th- I, I, I think I, underdog doesn't have to. It doesn't have to necessarily translate that they can't that, that, that because they're not an underdog anymore. The approach doesn't work. I would say. I, I think, think the day that Simeone leaves, will will discover just what a good job he really was doing with this set of players. It's similar to Pochettino. It's careful what you wish for. Bonus you, question: You better hope it's not the end of a cycle because this cycle needs to carry on. Well, Bonus no. question: Estrella or San Miguel? San Miguel. Australia. Australia wins this vote 2-1, two, yeah. two so Australia. I'm afraid. Talking of Don't votes, like the bottle. we've got a new, uh, a new segment. Okay. Uh, it's going to start this week. And one thing I thought this podcast was lacking was a real competitive edge between the two of you. Yep. So I've decided that we're going to start predicting games, oh, which man. I know is to your favourite. So these are the rules in the new Picks League, okay. BR Football Picks League. Okay. There's going to be five games each week. Yep. You get one point for getting the correct team winning and three points for getting the score correct. Okay. And there is going to be forfeits, potentially at the end of each month. Potentially a little bit down the line. We might, we might work wow. on. I want to hear your forfeits, Rank Squad. I want you to, to hear what you want Sam and Dean to do as their forfeits. I mean, talking... Within reason. Yeah, okay, within reason. I'm talking anything from sort of cinnamon challenge levels no. to, you know, Sam having to dress up in a certain way on the podcast if he loses or, you know, all of these things. So send me in your ideas at Jack J. Collins on Twitter and we will definitely get some forfeits going. So, boys, I hope Brilliant. you're ready. Number one this week, MLS Cup Final. Seattle it? Sounders versus Toronto FC. Please. Toronto. Bye. Oh, no. A score as well? Yeah. Oh, you do not listen to the rules. 2-1. Uh, 2-1 two, one. Two, one, Toronto. 2-1 Toronto. Excellent. Dean? I'm going 2-1 Seattle. They nailed their game plan against LAFC, so I think... That they won't gonna, do that again. They're going to see this one through. Okay. Liverpool versus Manchester City. Sam? 2-1 to Liverpool. Dean? I'm just going 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two, two. Two, two. Yeah. Excellent. Bayern Munich versus Borussia Dortmund. Sam? 3-1 to Dortmund. Dean? That's bold. 1-1. 1-1. Real Betis versus Sevilla. Dean? 1-0 Sevilla, I'm saying, yeah. Sam? Is Ruby still in charge? Yep. Yeah. 2-0 to Sevilla. Okay, and the final one this weekend. Juventus versus AC Milan. Dean? 4-0 Juventus. (laughs) (laughs) 4-0? Talking of bold. Sam? 2-0 Juventus. 2-0 Juventus. Right. Let us know what you want Sam and Dean to do as a forfeit. We will top these up and we'll come back to you next week. I am terrified. Sam, that is the nonsense siren, which means it is your time to shine. Sounded Hit a bit me. different there. I think your voice I went was broken. really high. Yeah, that really was really high. It was odd, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this week, I have ranked the three worst tube lines on the London Underground. 
and have compared them each to Premier League clubs. Excellent. Let's go. Um, I, I have to say that this is inspired by regular listener of the podcast, Cameron Johns, who came up with this idea and warned me several times that if I do use it, I have to credit him. And okay. Occasionally, Fair enough. Occasionally, well done, Cameron. Yeah, thanks, Cam. You have to actually tell Sam these things because he always uses my content and then just you know, gets 8,000 retweets and I'm like, I said that. You should mention it more. Uh, in at number three, so the third worst line on the London Underground is the district and circle line. That's two different lines. Well, it's the district, the district line, but it's the district <laughs> it's and circle line. It's tied badly. I don't like either of them. Okay. But since they're conjoined All right. at points... But it's mostly the district line I have beef with because I don't really use the circle line. Um, so a lot of people won't actually be aware of these lines, so I'm going to explain what they do as well. This covers a huge area in West London. It takes you into the centre and back. Jack takes it all the time. Yeah, it's my line. I don't really like anyone else criticising it, it's so green. I am on air here. Yeah, it's, it is green. it's green uh, on the map. A lot of it isn't actually underground. Um, yeah, so you can use your, you know, your phone or your cell services, which is quite cool. But it's still quite bad. Um, it shuts a lot for repairs. Yeah. Schedule sometimes, often at weekends. Sometimes it just doesn't work. Um, it can be very confusing for people because it, it splits off into different tracks. And I feel like actually some of those destinations, those trains come much more frequently than others. Yeah, like every train, also. every train goes to Wimbledon and nothing goes anywhere else. It's really stupid. Um, if you're like me and you don't check services um, before you go anywhere, it's very, it's a fifty-fifty chance that you'll have to end up getting a bus somewhere else because you didn't check it. Um, so then you ask yourself, which club is the most inconsistent in the Premier League? Which club on paper looks good, but in reality just doesn't really get going about half of the time? It's West Ham. West Ham United, yeah. <laughs> Who famously are on the district line, so this does work. Oh, oh it used to be. Well, used yeah, be. yeah. The, site, no the longer... site of Upton Park was. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They were on the district line. They were. RIP. Uh, yeah, so in at number two is the Bakerloo line. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that runs north to south uh, and culminates in the south in a place called Elephant and Castle, which is a top three tube station name. But that's do a fact. That is a different uh, ranking from a different time. Do you know why the Bakerloo line is called the Bakerloo line? Is it something to do with occupations and or wars? No. No. No, because it originally ran from Baker Street to Waterloo. That just literally bashed the two names together and was like, well, hey, Bakerloo. Fair enough. Very far. Fair enough. Yeah, so, yeah that's why they Bakerloo is called So for those looking on the map, it's the brown one, which is fitting because it's total shit. <laughs> 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 It is so dirty. It is grim. It yeah. is grim disgusting. Line. The seats in the carriages are absolutely disgusting. The state they're in. I don't really know how to like describe it properly, but it's basically that you've got like a stretched set of canvas that goes over two seats rather than one. They're not individual seats. So when a heavy person sits down with a thump onto one of the seats, it springs the other person into the air. It's like a trampoline canvas that's been <laughs> split over two. So I'm constantly pinging people all over the carriage <laughs> when I sit down. Um, but it is dirty. The design is disgusting. It's like it's been transported out of the 1960s. It really is. It's like it's stepping really, into it's the a one timeline. line that has never really got an upgrade. Yeah. Everything else has yeah. been upgraded apart from the Bakerloo line. You're yeah. absolutely right. So as it, it's been around for a while, but its facilities are god awful. Burnley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Can confirm. Can confirm. Turf more. Straight out. Sorry, straight out of the 1960s. Done. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Turf more. So which, not le- my which leaves us. Um, with the number one worst line, and it's the central line. Oh, um, absolutely hate the central line. Uh, as the name suggests, it runs through the centre of London, more or less. It goes east to west. It's the red one. Yeah, it's horrid. It's really old. It runs really deep, and it gets super hot. So hot. It's, it's like so it's genuinely like a furnace. It's so bad. It's packed with people. Peak hour travel on the central line. It's is, probably is, the busiest, apart from maybe the northern. I think probably it's yeah. Up there. Yeah, it's really bad. Packed with people. It's such a you have such a bad time when you're on that line. Everyone is grumpy. 
Uh, during peak summer, because it's so hot down there, it's, it hits over 35 degrees, which is actually illegal. You can't even transport livestock and cattle at that temperature, let alone human beings. Uh, that's about 90 degrees Fahrenheit or so, I think, Dean. Um, and, perhaps, and during the winter, it's really bad as well, because you wrap up and you put your big coat on upstairs, you know, where it's freezing cold, you know, it's zero degrees, and you get downstairs and it's 30 degrees again. Yeah, it's actually so you hell. start yeah. cooking inside your scarf, which is horrendous. The line has actually got gradually hotter over the years because they used clay in the tunnels and it, and it retains heat. So over the years, it just gets hotter and hotter and hotter. At certain points of your journey, it will just start screeching. There's a very loud screeching noise. So you pause any conversation. You can't have any chat. Um, it's so overpowering that you can't even hear stuff over headphones sometimes. Yeah, it is it's really ridiculous. Weird. So which club is old? Red, very popular, but steadily declining, not very good during the summer and winter windows, and has a very unhappy fan base who scream about it quite a lot. Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that. It's Manchester United. It's, it's Man United, United or Arsenal. It's yeah. a pick in between the two. <laughs> I, don't mind, I, don't, I don't mind which I don't mind which you want. Yeah, which you want. That is very, very good. Okay. I am pleased. And yeah, very I, good, mate. Nothing I like more than the tube. So, you know, you've, you've really hit the spot there for Nothing me. I like more than the tube. Nothing I hate more than the tube. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's it is one, one of those, those isn't it? Absolutely. Can't live with it, can't live without it. We That's are fun. done. For the week, meaning that all is left for me to do is to say thank you to these two, to Dean Jones. Uh, sorry, no melon this week. We'll be back next week. Um, was let down by my melon delivery, man. Yeah, literally, the melon wasn't <laughs> delivered. It was a real, real source of stress for us. <laughs> Sam Tai, thank you, mate. Thank you so much to Chloe Beresford and Manuel Veth for their videos and knowledge about the Bundesliga and Serie A, respectively. Thank you so much to John Gibbons from the Anfield Rap mm-hmm. for talking to us about all things Liverpool. Please do remember to keep sharing the pod with your friends and giving us ratings and reviews on iTunes. They all help us to grow. We really appreciate you. We'll see you next week. Rank Squad forever. Peace.